Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our Reclaim series, and this one's called Trust. The question for you to start with today is, who do you trust most? Enjoy. come back together. Uh, We are in our Reclaim series because it was really apparent over the last year that a lot of us are in this process of deconstruction, uh, that we are breaking things apart and letting go of things. And at times there's a place for critique in the church, but also critique quickly moves to cynicism. And so we're saying, what are some of those things that we can pick back up? How do we not throw the baby out with the bathwater? How can we reclaim the words of Jesus and gospel and kingdom, which are just like fancy church words, right? Or how do we reclaim just this reality of what does it mean to be human? And how do we put some new language to that? How do we do that in the life of a community? And so that's where we're here. And today we're going to reclaim trust. And if we're going to do that, then I feel like you've already set me up well for this day. Then we've got to do a few things. We're going to talk about follow me. We're going to talk about in God we trust. And then in we, God trusts. The extraordinary, ordinary. Who you're not. Then if we're going to do that, we're going to talk about some boxes. And then, of course, Jay-Z and the story of OJ, little 444. And you look at me and you're like, why is this guy talking about it? And then we're going to cleanse the palate. And I'm going to do this in 15 minutes. And if I don't, I'll give you all I want till till 11.20 on there. 11.20, 16 minutes. Starting now, listen to Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. So first we've got to talk about follow me. The one really interesting thing about Jesus that was different from a lot of where I grew up and how I understood church is that Jesus never says the words, worship me. Jesus says the words, follow me. 
In the world that I lived in, we talked a lot about worshiping Jesus. And I realized that one of the reasons that we talk about worshiping Jesus so much is, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. There's realities in the scriptures that we worship Jesus. Yet when Jesus speaks to the disciples, it's always about following. But in our culture, when we've talked about worship, it's really been this opportunity to remove ourselves, to distance ourselves from God. And so what happens is that we begin to talk about God a lot somewhere out there and over there, and this God is somehow on a throne, and this God wants to be praised and worship, and this God has a giant ego and desperately needs the praises of human beings. And yet when I look at Jesus, it's less about ego, it's less about desperately needing praises of human beings, and it's a lot more about, will you participate with me in this story? And that changes everything. Because in the just worship me camp, there's a lot of avoidance that goes on. It becomes this ideological thing where we come into rooms, we sing loud songs is what we think about what worship means. And we think that is somehow equivalent to a life of following Jesus. And it is not the same thing. And then what we begin to do is we begin to base success on churches by how much happens in these worship services or even worship centers that we call them because we have so limited the narrative of what God is doing. It happens in a very specific building around Chris Tomlin songs for two hours on a Sunday and somehow the rest of our lives don't matter. I'm not saying that's what's being said. I'm saying that's what people are showing us. Because we put millions of dollars into Sunday morning looking good instead of how are we putting millions of dollars and time and energy into reversing the amnesia of the world and allowing people to follow and participate with Jesus in this larger narrative of kingdom and good news. They are not the same story. So if we're going to follow, we first have to learn to trust. There's a cost, obviously, of what Jesus is saying. And so when Jesus asks Peter to follow, right? When Peter says, I'm going to follow you, there's a reality that trust is somehow a part of this equation as well. That we have to trust in who Jesus is in some capacity or this narrative in order to follow. But at the same time, if we're not practicing, if we're not following, that we'll never trust. So they go together in some capacity. You have to take a step of faith. You have to say, somehow I believe that this can be the best life possible to do this Jesus thing well. So here's what we're going to look at real quick. We're going to talk about this idea of how we reclaim trust in order to follow I, I believe wholeheartedly that we've told the story of gospel for a long time where it sounds like a lot of bad news. It sounds like God's really angry and thus this angry God does need praise and worship in a certain way because this God has a massive ego. Yet when I look at the life of Jesus, I see that Jesus is really interested in the human experience, right? That we have spent so long talking about Jesus as this Christ, as the divine, that we've missed the human opportunity, which is the part that is most relatable to us. We need both. In Jesus, we have the, the, the messy, the bloody, the tangible, the palpable, right? All of that right in front of us. And at the same time, we have the awe, the mystery, the universal. This thing is bigger than us. Where do we go with this thing? All in one space. And religion is at its best when it's doing both when it's showing you the very fullness of who God is and that that thing is infinite and something that none of us can ever put all of our arms around. And it's also at its very best when it's showing us the very best of what it means to be human. And those things have to go hand in hand with one another. 
And so when I look at Jesus and I look at the story of Jesus, we see that Jesus was born as a human being. We see in Luke this maturation process of Jesus's life. And this isn't a story about Jesus living 2,000 years ago. This is an invitation for human beings to participate in another story of what God is doing. And those are two different events. Sometimes when we live in the world of worship, we talk about the Bible as events that happened over there instead of the scriptures an opportunity to say, oh, no, 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 the life of Jesus, really the whole work of scripture, this is just the human journey. And we're on the human journey. And that's what Jesus is showing us. How do we do this human journey, not just as individuals, but corporately together? And so Jesus does some really interesting things when he's talking to Peter, inviting not Peter, but human beings on this journey to follow. One of the things that Jesus does the best is that Jesus shows us that the extraordinary is always found within the ordinary. We live in a world sometimes with religion where what we're trying to do is build the temple. We're trying to build the temple because we think, oh, it's in the temple is where you connect and relate to God. But the more you hang out with Jesus, you realize the whole thing is a temple. It's not about God being here and it's not about God being there. It's about God being everywhere and always. And those are two very different versions of the story. One version of the story is religion is always trying to create some container in which you find God. And what's great about the scriptures is the scriptures are owning that reality for us. There is a point where we create a temple and we say, and this is where God is found. And yet the scriptures themselves say, because that's where we all start. And that's okay and that's healthy. Because in your life, what happens is there's a place where you found God. And like any zealous, normal human being who finds a good restaurant, you tell everybody about how great that experience was and you believe if I found God at Forest Home, then clearly everyone must find God at Forest Home. Fill in the blank, right? You get a little healthier and you mature when you realize, oh, it's not about where I found God, but it's now about taking the God I found with me. And then as you mature in that reality, then eventually you'll have eyes to see, oh, God was here the whole time. That's the story of Jacob, right? Jacob's ladder where Jacob is sleeping and he wakes up and he says, oh, God was here the whole time. Sometimes we think that we're bringing God into a place, but the reality is that God was already in the ordinary. And Jesus does that for Peter by speaking to Peter in a very ordinary way and talking to Peter about what it means to be a fisherman. Jesus didn't show up looking for disciples in church or the synagogue. Jesus showed up looking for followers in everyday ordinary life. Peter had a transcendent moment with Jesus in his ordinary life because that's where God shows up. And the more that we tell people that you find God in church spaces, the more that we're limiting people to the possibility of what God can actually do. We come into these spaces to remind ourselves that the whole thing's a temple, not to build the temple. And so Jesus uses language with Peter that is all about this idea of him being a fisherman. And so Peter knows how to fish. Peter's been fishing all night long and Jesus opens this up and says, right, I want you to trust in me. So I want you to put your nets back out there. And Peter's like, well, I mean, just so you know, I've already been doing this, but I guess because you tell me so, I'm gonna at least give it a shot. And that's where the miracle happens in Peter's ordinary life of casting out nets. And I'm certain of this, that's where God meets us as well. I promise that the more that we participate with following God, the more we realize God hopefully is not just showing up for an hour in this space, 
but the more that we'll have eyes to see, God is everywhere and always in every aspect of our life. And the more that we learn to trust that, the more that we mature and become better followers of this Jesus, and I think we become healthier human beings. Because then we begin to realize, oh, my narrative and my story is not the center of the story of the entire universe. Your experience can be true too, even when your experience is different than mine. And so Jesus uses the common language of Peter. Jesus uses the things that Peter understands. And then Jesus invites Peter into a way of following. What I love also in the story is what's not interesting to Jesus. What's not interesting to Jesus is when Peter says, but Jesus, I'm a sinful man, right? He just witnessed that God is doing something profound in his life right in front of him in a very normal way. And he does what a lot of us have been trained to do. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Let's talk about how horrible and depraved and all these other things I am. But how does Jesus respond to that? He doesn't. Instead, what Jesus does is opens them up to a bigger reality. Jesus doesn't respond, but I'm a sinful man language. Jesus just says, I want you to throw out bigger nets and do something bigger in this world. You can spend all of your time talking about what you're not, but I want to spend all of my time talking about who you are. And so we can continue to tell a story of bad news that talks about what you're not and what you're incapable of and what you ought to be doing and what you should be doing. And yet Jesus is constantly proclaiming who you are, which is you are my sons and you are my daughters and you are loved and with you I am well pleased. And I invite all of you into this reality because this reality is a human experience, not a Christian experience. Jesus didn't come to set up a religion or church. Jesus came to redeem all of creation. That's a much bigger picture. He's saying to some, remember this well so that you can tell the story of everywhere and always. And he invites Peter into that reality first by first saying, I'm not interested in what you're not. I'm much more interested in actually who you are. And so we talk about unity and uniformity in here all of the time, but we have to recognize that there's a process to this. And one of the processes that God invites us to is what I would say are these three boxes. The first box is simply this idea of, dis, of, of construction or of order. We all live in this box at some level. This is how we begin life. These are the things that we understand. There's some stability here. Uh, conservatives do a lot with the first box because they don't ever want to let the first box go. So a lot of times in, in conservative environments, we're really terrified when kids go off to college because they're going to have their own ideas, <laughs> right? And we don't want them to have their own ideas. We want them to keep repeating the same words of Jesus that we repeated. And then what happens is we go to the second box, which is all about deconstruction or all about disorder, and we need the second box. The problem with the second box is, is that liberals only live there, and they think, oh man, we're so smart, we're so clever, we're questioning everything, but then you lost the election. Because you think that you're so good and so smart at knowing everything, but there's a lot of people in the first box who say, you don't understand my reality. So how smart are you, right? And a lot of times what's acute, what we accuse liberals of is you have a lot of talk, but do you have any action? You're really passionate about all of these other communities, but do you actually live with them? And sometimes we find that people in the first box do a little better with that, even though the message that they're sharing is pretty terrifying, to be honest. <laughs> right? But they're really passionate about it because like, they're legitimately worried that like, people are burning, like God is torture in chief and just wants to like, burn people for all of eternity. He's got like, a smile on his face and he's clearly a he in that situation. But we need the third box, which is all about reconstruction. And this is, this is all about the reality of, okay, we had some things. We've got to let go of those things, right? We've got to move into the second box and ask some questions. But now we need to re-understand and reclaim what this thing is about. 
And then what we do is that we just keep getting bigger boxes. And that's what Jesus invites us to. Every time you get to the box of reconstruction, you're eventually going to move back to a little bit bigger box of construction, but you don't stay there. And that's why these stories of the, like the liturgical calendar are so helpful for us because every year we come into the story of Advent, reminding us of the first box that God is with us. And we all need that reminder. And then every year we move corporately, even if we're not there into the second box, which is deconstruction, which is God is for us, even in our brokenness, even in our wilderness, even when we don't have everything figured out, even on the cross, God is for us. And we don't fly over that thing. We don't go over the pain. We have to go through it. We have to go through the brokenness and reclaim it from the inside out. And then after we've gone through that, we experience the final part of it, which is God is ahead of us, right? when we reconstruct this thing. Jesus knew where Peter was going, but Jesus invites us into the journey as well. Jesus understands that the cross and resurrection are ahead, but he understands that we have no concept of that. And the longer that we live in a world of worship me and not follow me, we'll never have a concept of that. We'll just move ideological and theological furniture around and make ourselves feel good, but it's not about that. It's about you journeying as a human being through these real narratives that you have in your life. It's about questioning everything, and it's about reclaiming everything, and it's about doing that again and again and again, because the story of evolution is our story. We keep growing, we keep changing, and that's a good thing. And so then there's Jay-Z. There's a picture of Jay-Z. This is an article that came up. I gotta do this in one minute. You all get five bucks, deal with it. (laughs) Sometimes you make goals and sometimes you don't keep them. But I'm not going to rush Jay-Z, and neither should you. (laughs) There was a great article uh, last fall with Jay-Z and just talking about what it's like to be a black man in Trump's America. And um, one of the things that they started about in the conversation is they were talking about OJ is this idol for for Jay-Z when he was a young man. But one of the things that OJ did bad is he would say, I'm not black, I'm OJ. And uh, Jay-Z is talking about just the evolution of his music through time that he starts off like, like many young rappers talking about how hard life is and the hood and the neighborhood, what it's like and making it. Um, but his newer albums are much more about like, I kind of have made it, like I'm a billionaire now, like things are changing, like I'm a man, I'm a father, I'm a husband. But he said one of the things that OJ never taught him in this narrative was to remember, but I'm a black man throughout all of that. And something that we need to remember in the story is that even though we're all going through this process in these boxes, we're not going through these boxes in the same way. And we need each of our unique stories in it. If you're a young woman, we need your narrative of what it means to be a young woman in this world. If you're a young black man, if you're a gay black Christian, if you're, pick your thing, right? We need your narrative and it needs to be unique to you. We're going through this thing as human beings, but we need all of our stories together. And Jay-Z keeps talking about that. He keeps saying, yes, it's important that I understand what this thing is really about. It's about the human journey, but it's also my human journey is about being a young black man and now a middle-aged black man with kids and a wife. And that's where we begin to see the extraordinary and the ordinary is that God is not trying to change you to become some homogenous creature where you begin to like repeat. Does anyone have these people in their life where like they sound like the New Testament when they talk? (laughs) Do you know these people? And you're like, no one talks like that. But somehow like that was the goal, to sound more like Paul, right? 
It's like, no, 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 no. Let Paul talk that way 2,000 years ago, right? Now let me talk my way and talk about the gospel out of my mouth and my experience that the world's heard the gospel for 2,000 years. It's never heard out of your life yet. That's the important thing. And when we uniquely share gospel out of our perspective and our life, that's when the world changes. And so there's this question and answer time with Jay-Z. And it says, uh, talking about OJ, was it a reminder too that the, the thing OJ forgot maybe was that as rich as he was, as entitled as his life was, he was reminded very forcefully when he became a subject of racial debate that he was also a black man, whether he accepted that or not. And Jay-Z says, that's right, absolutely. And for us, like I'm saying, to speak that the point is don't forget that. Because that's really not the goal. The goal is not to be successful and famous. That's not the goal. The goal is if you have a specific God-given ability is to live your life out through that, one. And two, we have a responsibility to push the conversation forward until we're all equal, until we're all equal in this place. Because until everyone's free, no one's free. And that's just a fact. And so Jay-Z's talking about this because when we say things like black lives matter and then follow it up with all lives matter, you're missing the point. No, we need the narrative of Black Lives Matter. We need the specific, unique narratives of the diversity of this world to tell the fullest story of what gospel and kingdom and Jesus are trying to do in the world. Jesus invites all of us to follow. Jesus uses specific language and context in all of our lives. But sometimes, particularly in our world, we have a really hard time seeing and hearing God because we've been taught that God only speaks through a very specific box. And my hope here is that we begin to open those boxes up, see that the boxes get bigger and say, no, God was speaking, to me to the whole, speaking with me this whole time within my box. And someone kept trying to tell me to speak that God was speaking to me within their box, and that's just not true. And then when we put all of our stories together, now that's a beautiful gospel. Now that's something worth following because it's not their story, it's my story and our story. And so we're going to close with cleansing the palate. Ash Wednesday is this um, really important part of, of the Christian calendar that's coming up, and it leads us into Lent. And Lent is this season of reminding us that God is for us. And even if you're not in that season of wilderness and barrenness and brokenness and hurt and desert and temptation or whatever you want to call it, um, maybe you're in a season of like resurrection and joy and health and happiness and beauty, we enter into these seasons together as a reminder of, oh, I have been here or I will be here one day. And so we live in a world that just wants to blow through holidays and events really fast, but we need to create space in our lives to cleanse our palate a little bit. So everyone wants to run to Easter. Again, I grew up in the evangelical world and we do not do Lent. We do not do wilderness. We do turn up the music, blast the fog machines, and sing louder. For me, it was, it was always resurrection. Don't talk to me about crucifixion. That's the world I grew up in. Let's not honestly talk about real pain, real hurt, young men that are going to jail, or real stories. Let's just raise our hands, come to the altar, and trust that God's going to fix that. That's my narrative. I'm not imposing upon that on you, but that's the world that I grew up in. But the more that I encounter Jesus, the more I realize, no, you need an invitation into your wilderness, into the desert, into your brokenness. Because if you're going to honestly follow Jesus, you have to learn to trust Jesus through the wilderness as well. Because there's no going over Friday. You have to go through it to reach Sunday. So we fast. We choose solitude. We let things go to cleanse our palate so that when Easter arrives, we can taste it more fully. 
So the invitation for all of us as we move into this Lenten season starting this Wednesday is, where is the extraordinary showing up in your ordinary life? Where is God already speaking to you exactly where you're at? And as you take some time during this Lenten season to let some things go, to choose some contemplative practices, to listen well to whatever that thing is, you got to figure that thing out. I trust that God is now going to speak a little bit more clearly in the midst of your ordinary. And that's why we do it. Because if we just keep like eating one great meal after the other, sometimes we lose the taste of what's actually going on, right? It's most obvious in the Christmas season, instead of like anticipating and preparing that Christmas is coming, this advent of the coming Christ, we have Christmas party after Christmas party after Christmas party and more drinking and more food, more drinking for this guy, right? And then eventually we get to Christmas, we're like, man, I'm so ready for this holiday season to be done. Because I'm already full. And it was supposed to be a season of waiting for this thing to be birthed into the world. And the same with Lent. We're so excited to get to Easter. We missed the really important part of following God uniquely in the midst of our own wilderness and our own brokenness and our own hurt. Even if you're not there right now, how can we as a group practice settling down and listening well and trusting in God, even in the wilderness and trusting that as God speaks to us there, it will only emphasize, it will only bring out the true flavors that are uniquely each and every one of us. And then together we'll have a more harmonious song together. So if you'd get in a group and ask these questions together, what practical step will you take to trust or follow Jesus? If this question doesn't work for you, don't use it. Talk about something that stuck out to you today and where you're at, enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.